swimmers, and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Sperling, and each week we chat to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. As master swimmers, we squeeze a lot into our week, and of course, pool sessions are our top priority. But to get faster in the pool, we can't ignore strength training, and that is where my guest today, Ryan Everden, comes in. Ryan shared his philosophy on strength training, but we dove deeper into what you need to include in your program, and we find out which exercise Ryan recommends as the goat of all exercises to include in that program. Let's hear from Ryan now. There you go, Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. Where are you joining us from today? I'm currently sitting to you in my office in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah. Have you managed to get any exercise in yourself over the last few days? Um, yeah, actually, this is this is good timing. I went for a run this morning, so I've currently got a new, like, a baby, I guess. Like, it's a brand new baby. Um, so we're just trying to figure, and my wife is looking to try and get back into a bit of, bit of swimming. We're both swimmers originally. Um, she's wanting to get back into it. I gave it a go last year with my master's endeavours. Um, and then, you know, broken wrist and that was the end of that. And now she's, you know, it's her time. She's had a baby. It's her time to have a go. So what we're trying to do now is work out ways where I can have the baby and still get some exercise in. So I, my gym and the pool that we work out of, so we, we have both sides to, to that. The gym is only about four Ks away from the, the pool. So what I did this morning, I got up really, really early. I parked at the gym. I ran from the gym to the pool, met her there for the start of her session picked up her, the dog, the baby, and then I, I walked back and, you know, it took me about probably about an hour and a half of, of enjoyment, I guess. So that I, I got to get, get with, you know, my daughter and, and my main, my main daughter, the dog, Peanut. <laughs> that sounds good. So that, that's my main thing at the moment. Otherwise it's a bit ad hoc. I'm a bit, you know, I'm doing a bit of gym work and stuff like that, but um, I guess life is, is really getting in, is is a big excuse of mine at the moment so it's something that i'm really looking to home back into i'm not in the water at the moment for sure i wanted to have a quick talk before we talk about your coaching and strength and conditioning i wanted to have a bit, bit of a talk about your own background in swimming tell us a little bit about your journey yep okay so like it, it goes back to when we moved out here so in the uk i was pretty rubbish at swimming from my recollection of it i didn't really enjoy it it wasn't something that i was keen on at all um and then when I was when we moved over here, I did the in-house swimming. Like swimming was an actual carnival that we did over here and stuff like that. So I did, you know, the inter-house carnival as a primary school student, and they said, "Look, you probably want to join the school swimming squad." I joined the school swimming squad. That led to me joining a club, um, and then you know, onwards and upwards from there down in Bunbury. Um, as an age athlete, I, um, you know, I was I'm a 200 breaststroker, so I'm a bit strange, um, and. As an age athlete, you know, national finalists a lot of the times got to swim with guys like um, like Lenny Bremer and Tommy Susipto from WA. And then obviously Jake Packard was one of the other blokes that I, I got to tussle with every now and again um, and had a very happy age group career. Um, then at, in year 12, I did my ACL. I completely had a complete knee reconstruction. What kind of is a nice bit to mention, that's when I started really trying to figure out things in the gym. Um, I was so desperate to get back as quickly as possible that I was, you know, 
doing a bit of self-research, trying to figure out, you know, how can I make this leg stronger so I can get back in the water quickly? What kind of cardio can I do to, you know, so I don't lose too much fitness. So I ended up doing a fair bit of work on a bike. I used to ride my bike to training, do the rehab in the water, go up to the gym, do some gym work, just and kept it very similar to the training times that I would have been going to the pool anyway. Um, that helped me really keep some connection to it. And then I moved to Perth in 2012. I joined Perth City Swimming Club with um, who was the head coach at the time, Matt McGee. Um, and that was with guys like Brianna Frossel and and Simon Hutenga and, and guys like that. And with Andy and we national finalists um, for you know a good many years there um, and just kept getting repeat injuries. So, I mean, that kind of sums up and it gives you a nice little story of, you know, how I've ended up where I am because I kind of just went, well, I I would hate for other swimmers to have the experience that I I had as an athlete. Not the the good bits were all, all excellent. I love the good bits, but I, I definitely feel like if there was more direction, more guidance, more education around you know, how strength and conditioning could be very good for preventing injury um, and, you know, how to do it effectively and not overdo it was, was one of the things that I... I struggled with big time recovery aspects, stuff like that would really benefit and, you know, hopefully put a lot more longevity to a lot of careers and, and allow people to actually fulfill some of their potential and not get um, too busted up all the time. So, and that's ended me up with formidable strength and conditioning over here in Perth, where we now specialize entirely on SNC for swimming athletes. And we also are, uh, have our own pool program that's based out of Perth City Swimming Club as well. Wow. It's I mean it's a it's a great journey to get to that point. Did you study strength and conditioning at university? How did you get into that side of it? I know you did your own research, but um how did you officially get sort of into that role? Yep. So I am a, a now a very open person who who has ADHD. Um and so university and stuff like that. I was never medicated during university. It's only since, you know, in the last year that I managed to get, you know, an adult diagnosis and medicated and stuff like that, what's really helped. But during my university days, that lack of structure that everyone told me would be perfect for me based on my swimming and stuff like that. Oh, you'd love it. You'd be able to train, then go to uni and then come back, have naps, blah, blah, blah. That lack of structure just couldn't couldn't maintain it for me. It was really hard. Um, so I went down another route. I went and did my Cert 3 and 4 in personal training um, instead of exercise science. And I did external PDs and I ASCA qualification, so Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, at the time, I was also swim coaching on pool deck. Um, so I was a, at the time a bronze level swimming coach um, through Australian Swimming and Coaching Association, what I believe is called something else now. Um, so that's that's my kind of formal qualification. Other than that, it's just a lot of reps working with a lot of swimmers, um, figuring out a lot of issues and not being afraid to, you know, seek mentorship from from guys who have worked in SNC for a long time. Um, guys like Christian Woodford over in the US, uh, over in Melbourne, who works a lot with AFL and footy, um, and a lot of other guys as well that probably don't need to mention all of them. But there's a lot of other guys in in the world that I seek a lot of mentorship from and, and try to further my education through practicality and stuff like that, rather than necessarily going to uni and doing a master's in SNC. Yeah, well, I think that's really important. I mean, you've got all that experience on the ground and you've used your own experience from swimming. And I, I assume and I know that that would actually help the athletes that you work with as well. I find it very beneficial. Um, I have a lot of a lot of ability to relate to athletes, especially when they get injured. Um, 
I think I think relate to. I think it's something that we also need to be careful of. Is um, my experience is definitely not going to be their experience, and their experience is definitely not my experience. But offering, you know, some advice around, you know, the way and being opening yourself to be a bit vulnerable with the athletes really helps. I guess like um, what's something that I've found over the years that a lot of um, pool coaches weren't aren't necessarily were open to do. Um, you know, offer up some vulnerability around you know how I felt when I was injured and how you know, the struggles that, you know, being injured as an athlete who wants to achieve, you know, big things can can put you through and, you know, building your way through that and then relaying that and communicating that to, you know, athletes of all different age groups. Like I don't just work with the guys who go to Open Nationals and, you know, are looking for Australian teams. Like we work with a lot of Masters athletes as well. Um, but it's just, um, I think it's invaluable. And I think that's where a lot of coaches fall down is their ability to actually communicate and and deliver when when it is required in when the athlete's biggest time of need is what's generally when they're injured or they're they're really struggling with something i think that's a really pertinent point to um like taking everyone's sort of case study individually because we're not all the same and it's it's great to have a coach that sort of um links into that with you so sounds like that's what's happening over at formidable strength what um are you doing much swimming coaching as well as the strength and conditioning at the moment? I'm my number one cover at the moment for the um, the swim side of things. Um, I'm not currently on pool deck officially as a coach day in, day out. I have done a lot of being junior coaching and stuff like that and a lot of adult co coaching before. Um, but no, I, I'm i very aware that me as a resource is is finite. It's, it's not finite. I think there is limited amount of me is what I'm trying to say. Um, and there are better people for certain roles than I am. So we we have Owen Carroll at Perth City Swimming Club that we we employ to run all of our programs at Perth City for you know the adults, the juniors, age and open guys. What what do you see as the difference in um, working with a masters athlete as um, as opposed to an, an age grouper? Like, what's the main sort of difference that you see? There's a lot of circumstantial differences, but the underlying a lot of the underlying things are still the same. It's just the environments are different. Um, and I'll try and make that a bit more clear in a second. For an age group athlete, I think their ability to re recover for an age group athlete and a master's athlete are the two things that they both struggle with the most. Open athletes tend to get it um, or they get very good at it because they have more opportunity to be able to recover. They understand that this is an important part. With the masters guys and the age group guys, I think like because they have school or work, you know, they're their two environments. What can be highly stressful for both individuals, they never account that into their training loads. I guess so. The main point of difference would be, you know, as a masters athlete, your ability to recover becomes way more important because you can't get away with it. When age group age group athletes. It's not ideal, but they can get away with it to a certain degree. Um, the Masters guys' recovery for us is a very, very big thing that we we push on them. Um, understanding that you need to accommodate not just for your training stress, but you also need to accommodate for your emotional well-being and your, your mental well-being um, in terms of work environments, family environments, and training environments. Um, and not just consider your workload as training itself. Um, things that we find with masters athletes is 
they're very willing to do the work and and they have a much and this might be a generational thing i don't know but they're very interested in doing more 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 to get better and better and better rather than you know what is my philosophy is doing better 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 to get better um you know we were talking about it just beforehand with an email that i read um earlier today and it was talking about like the, the oldest tortoise and i can't remember the exact age of the tortoise and it was comparing it to the average age of a, of a hare so it was going back to that old tortoise and the hare um, parable fable and it was talking about you know this tortoise has lived to a hundred and whatever it is 90 years old or i can't remember the exact number and because it's you know it's actions are so you know it understands slowness and where slow consistent actions get it the results that it needs to survive and thrive where a hare will be fleeting all around the place blah 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 blah. it's very much the same you know we're talking about the the difference between athletes that at master's level age level and everywhere that you know succeed and those that necessarily fall down is their consistency to apply details consistently day on day out and by smaller details, I'm talking about stuff like making sure that sleep is is happening correctly, uh, making sure their calorie intake is substantial enough for the demands of what they're doing in the pool and out of the pool. Um, you know, giving themselves the opportunity to be able to have a moment with themselves to be able to think and and process and not just go and all those and giving yourself opportunity to you know socialize those kind of things. You know, and the consistently the consistency that you can do that. I personally believe will outweigh the the benefits of you just consistently getting trying to look for more work or more kilometers or working at a higher intensity. The smaller details right more consistently will get you a far bigger yield than just trying to look at the gross, like improving on the gross picture. Most people are already doing the like the gross things well. That's very known and very, you know, easy to replicate in a lot of cases. Um, and take it to an SNC point of view. Like for a long time, SNC for swimmers has been, and you know, to some degree, it almost it still is in some populations, is seen as this optional extra. Obviously, I'm an SNC provider, so I've got some bias here, but I I strongly disagree. And the, I think the research will will tell you that as well. Um, the st- strength component of swimming and just giving yourself a better general strength output will not just increase your increase your amount of power that you can put in the water that's very you know short-sighted to think that way it's more about your ability to be able to you know have bigger capacity so your recovery can be better your thresholds can be higher because you have that that more output that you can put down so as your output increases your previous threshold for output will increase with it so therefore your new output your new threshold is higher your ability to maintain your body is a huge part. Like I say, what I believe that I do more than anything else in terms of my role as an SNC and all the other stuff that we we do at Formidable is we give people the greatest opportunity possible to perform in the water at their optimal state. Now, if that comes from us giving them a better plan, just be like dry land warm up beforehand, if that's us making sure their shoulders can stabilize when under fatigue, making sure that they can produce more power in the water. Like I always say that, you know, the SNC side of things isn't necessarily going to make you a better swimmer, but it's giving you the opportunity to become a better swimmer. And I think that's I think that's something that I I, I firmly believe in. 
And I think that it's something that people can probably um, misunderstand, if that makes sense. I don't feel that at no stage will lifting more weight directly correspond to you being able to swim faster. But it will give you the opportunity. If you are stronger, you will have a much bigger um, ability to be able to produce force. And if that is homed in the right way into the water, you'll then get that output and you'll be able to tap into that potential. Yeah, well, that, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask that very question. How do you hone that kind of skill to transfer into the water? So I'm just trying to think about as a master's, master's athlete, which you pointed out, a lot of people are working and they've got lots of other things in their life and their their main thing is to get to the pool for, for swimming. Would you recommend that they're in the gym two to three times a week or can you still get gains from once a week? Um, people always struggle to sort of get there. What What's your philosophy on that? Um, okay, I try... This is a very, I don't want to, I try not to give wishy-washy answers, but sure. the first answer I'm going to give you is a wishy-washy answer. <laughs> of, um, it depends. Right. Um, it very much depends. So, for example, yeah, let's take some examples here. We've got Andy Donaldson's been on your podcast before. He won't mind me talking about you, about him. Andy trains two times in the week, two times a week in the gym when he's in camp in Perth. So when he's not gallivanting off around the world, you know, breaking world records, doing ocean swims for the Ocean 7 Series. Um, and, you know, quick plug for Andy. If anyone wants to follow Andy, Andy Hannah's adventure, Andy Swimming, I think it is, on Instagram, and he's doing the Ocean 7 Swims to raise money for the Black Dog um, Institute, what's a mental health charity. So go check that out as an aside. Um, but he trains twice a week when he is in camp in Perth. But when he is away and we're managing his load when he's away, sometimes we do one a week, sometimes we do five a week. It will very much depend on what we have available to us and the amount of load that I need him to get done during that time period. So five a week is probably an exaggeration. I don't think he's ever done five. But for example, he can get off a plane. Off the plane, we need him to do something to make sure that we're getting him moving again before he gets in the water, uh, just to open himself up. I count that as a session. People, some people may go, well, that's just mobility and a bit of activation. Does that really count? It 100% counts. You only have so much capacity to do stuff. Therefore, everything you do must be considered. So your off the plane work is to freshen you up, to make you more, have that opportunity to get into your training regime as quickly as possible. And that may only take 20 minutes, but that still counts. Then he will do... I. I count his dry land preparation as part of his swimming session, just for clarification on that. Um, then he may do a more load intensive session, you know, three days post flight, if we've got a seven day turnaround, just so we make sure that we are still staying in contact with the joints, the joints are still staying nice and solid, everything's all good. Then we go to, you know, maybe a priming session before he gets into his race. What will be, you know, a last bit of mobility work to see, you know, if there's any anything that we need to be fixing, and some like some neurological, like throwing a ball, jumping, stuff like that, just to make sure he's firing up. Then he can go do a swim, and then, you know, post swim he'll have something to do as well. So if that was seven days, that's I think that was four four sessions that he would potentially be doing. Okay, but there's different examples of how that may work. Like he, there's it depends exactly on. The capacity of the athlete, what they're doing, and what the event they what event they're tra training for. I always say that 
to get better at the thing that you're trying to get better at, you need to make sure that that is the priority. Um, so for example, if you're looking to get better at swimming, doing six gym sessions a week and six in the pool, if that's a load that anyone does, is not going to get, is probably going to be counterintuitive to you getting better in the water. Um, I like two. Two is a very good number. I feel like two is very manageable on a um, physical level, uh, a stress level, time, and you know it doesn't have them coming in the gym too much and it still makes the gym important. We get what we need out of it, but we're not, we're not overloading the athlete. At the end of the day, they've got to perform in the, in the water. Then performing in the gym is important, but for us, it's about slow, consistent gains over an extended period of time rather than absolutely blitzing them every training session, every time they come in the gym. Gym, Because if they're too tired from the gym, they're not going to be good in the water. So that's probably, that's probably one of the main ones that you need to make sure that you're considering when you're looking to transfer this stuff into the water. Um, not do like going in the gym and not doing anything and not getting any work done isn't going to help you. But going in the gym and absolutely crushing yourself every time you go in the gym is probably not going to help you either. You're probably putting yourself at a bit of risk that way. Um, you need to find the sweet spot in the middle. Now, the second thing that we look, we need to make sure that we're doing, um, there's three things. So if I forget the third, remind me. Um, the second thing is something that we we make sure that we do. And we've got a free set process for this. Um, and it it needs to be ticked off before the third thing becomes relevant. So we need to ensure that we have adequate range of motion for the, the demands of the sport. So for swimming, that means, you know, having your arm above, being able to get your arm above your head is, is critical. Being, you know, being able to have your hips, you know, in a way that can produce, like get enough stability and kick into your stroke, being able to have, enough thoracic rotation they're probably the three major ones so shoulder range of motion thoracic rotation and hip mobility make sure that those things are adequate that that's your that's your number one in this three-step process number two is the ability to centrate your joints so for those who don't understand that jargon what's probably no one um to centrate your joint would be to lock your so through your shoulder for example if you raise your arms up above your head and i'm doing this on screen i don't know if this goes out on youtube or anything but it goes shoulders up and then you feel like your shoulder is lifted up and it's not quite in your capsule yeah everything's extended beneath it being able to pull that down into position and lock it into place and be able to hold that as you apply force that's that's joint centration and the next one is to be able to apply that force or being able to have some force to apply so that's range of motion, joint centration, and develop and force development. Okay. You can't start the force development without having the range of motion. You can't start the force development without being able to centrate your joint. Um, if you do, you end up just you're missing steps in this process. Okay. So that's your your that's your second step of this three-step process, I guess. The third thing that we need to make sure, and this is where it gets a bit fancy and technical and yada 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 is identifying um, general movements, general specific movements, and then specific movements that you can then apply into your training. Now, remembering that if you haven't, if you can't do the things in step two, this becomes redundant. This is where we talk about general movements, general specific, and then specific movements. So with general movements, that would be, say, squat, deadlift, pull-up, rows, carries, those kind of things, the normal generic gym exercises. 
They are just there so you can get stronger. Okay, that's where we're looking at strength. Now, we can apply different variables to that to make them general specific. Now, general specific exercises are generally, but can be general exercises as well, are generally exercises like your med ball throws, rotate med ball rotations, um, you know, your plyos, stuff like that, okay? They're things that are, you know, taking some of the concepts that would make the exercise specific, but not all of them. Use pull-ups as a prime example. That, that might be easier. We've got pull-ups. Then we'll probably have med ball throw down. So overhead throw it straight down. That's So we've got the strength component on a vertical pull exercise. Then we've got a velocity complementary exercise for a vertical pull. What would be our specific? It's kind of a trick question. Actually swimming. That's the actual specific exercise. There is literally no exercise on the planet that is more specific to what you're about to do than actually performing the exercise, the, the, the skill itself. The skill itself is swimming. So example would be for this, we are looking to, so you work backwards. We're looking to increase the pull ability of an athlete. Okay. Okay. So the specific exercise would be to pull like this, the freestyle overhead pull, let's say. Okay, what would be a general specific exercise? Single arm med ball throw, just keeping it easy. General exercise, lat pull down, pull up. Now, with that general exercise, we need to make sure that we that general overlaps to the being able to develop force from our previous thing. But for that to occur, we need to make sure that we can centrate the joint. And we also, we can't centrate the joint unless we have adequate range of motion to get our arm above our head. See how that kind of just works it's all, all the way down? Yeah. And in, in those exercises that you just mentioned, so just the general exercise of the, the pull-up or the lap pull-down and then the into the med ball throw, are they two things that you'd put in your program at the same time or would that be something you do your general block and then you'd move into the more specific? So how does, how does that work? Here we go. Here we go. Here's another depends. <laughs> it depends. It depends. Yeah. Because, for example, you may have, like, for different stages of it, what is really good about a swimming calendar is it is so clear-cut when the main competitions are. Um, something that you don't have in other sports and you do have in swimmings, I guess, like, team sports have their finals, but they have an entire season to get through before they get to the finals. So it makes it kind of tricky. Like, you have to be balancing a lot of different things there. With swimming, for example, we have maybe two, like, for age group, and open guys, we have two competitions a year. Unless you're at an international level, then it gets a little bit more tricky. Um, but, but for the generic age group and open athlete, you'll have you know your short course nationals and your long course nationals, or your short course states and your short course nationals, or your long course nationals. Masters guys, it's generally almost just one realistic event a year. Um, I do believe you guys do have short course nationals, yeah. Every four years, there is master short course nationals, but they're just at the time of nationals. So they go it's long course and then short course, but at the same time. So for masters, it is pretty much just. There's na nationals once a year, and then there, there might be a state long course or short course. Yeah. And sometimes states is after nationals for some reason. Yep. It changes all yep. the time. Yep. yep. And it's pretty fluid, but we, yep. the national event, because of the preparation that is needed to hold a national event, we have a general idea of when that will be most years and, and we can plan for that. So we can go, all right, so what do we need for this athlete to be good come competition date? 
Okay, so, and let's use Masters Nationals as an example. What is quite close? Yeah, it's in so, April. Yeah, it's quite close. It's the same. It's I think it's the exact same date as um, Open Nationals as well and Transplant Games. Yes, I think so. It's just after so, just after Easter. Yeah, that's right. It's a triple triple whammy for my life right now because we have Age Nationals, then that then Open, but also Masters and Transplant going on. What's lots of time to be alive for for Ryan. But going back to my original thing that we were talking about and how do we prepare and, you know, putting those exercises in order, I guess, is what we're talking about. I would look to apply the same system that we just talked about, but just try and build it out over a year. Does that make sense? So at the start of the process of us coaching an athlete, I'm making sure that joint range of motion is adequate. If they can tick off that book, tick that box off, we're, we're making sure that, you know, the priority of the training session becomes, okay, let's make sure that we can centrate all these joints and get good centration and hold that centration under load. Next bit then becomes, let's get these guys up to a strength standard that is is good, right? Now, as I'm saying this, I understand that that may sound like for the first, if you're doing a four-week block, all we're doing is mobility work for a four-week block, right? Not the case. Let's we'll use the word priority, I guess. So we're prioritizing range of motion. We are still doing general strength movements and stuff like that, but we are limiting the way that we do it to make sure that it is safe and we're getting you know good results out of it. So if you're concentrating on the range of motion and the general in the in that four-week block, would the specificity of say a med ball that would sit at the side until you'd increased your strength? Not necessarily. So yeah, I'll, I'll finish this bit and then we'll, uh, I'll get onto that because that's that's a very good point as well. So what we're talking about here is we we prioritise certain factors at certain times of the year. So even better, like for right now, power output and specificity is, how is that for me saying that word correctly? Specificity is the, the key aspect of right now for all our guys going to nationals, yeah? So they're doing a lot of throwing, they're doing a lot of jumping, but, you know, they're always doing their own water work, right? That's the main thing to remember. They're always doing that. But we're doing a lot of throwdowns. We're doing a lot of rotation work. We're doing a lot of, you know, jumping and stuff like that to make sure they're explosive and powerful and ready to do, ready to fulfill the demands that they are about to have. So that's the key consideration right now. Now, we're not not doing strength work at the same time. Like we are still, even though that we're still doing a general strength. Yeah, this the the um, the the variation and the priority for certain aspects of the training gets highlighted more. Um, so for example, right now they're still doing pull-ups, they're still doing their RDLs, they're still doing their rows, they're still doing all of these things. But we might be pairing them. Say we may be going from a pull down it straight into a med ball like throw down. Yeah, that makes more sense. So we're getting a bit of contrast work in there as well. Mm. Does that make more sense? But, you know, we still got to make sure the strength is there because if the strength goes away, the other aspects do as well. So the best thing about strength is, you know, it's kind of key for endurance, power, and power. It's the one thing that if you increase strength, power, and endurance are both going to increase just proximity. And then you need to be specific to the, the nature of those two aspects, if that makes sense. So, But I suppose my question is now, do you... Do you still overload in that in that time? Would you still overload a variable a variable each week in your in your general strength leading internationals? 
when we're just focusing about general no, strength? No, just in this time leading up to nationals when you said there's going to be more focus on the specific um, exercises like the throwdowns or pairing them, would you still be overloading your general exercises during that time or would they be at a stable level now? Uh, so, yeah, very good point. So always, always prioritise one thing. Um, they're still doing it and we still look for slight increases in it, but we're not forcing it um, or we never force it anyway. But um, we still like we're not neglecting the ability to still try and get a little bit stronger and try and get a little bit more out of it. Um, but we are, you know, for example, not as focused on the the general specific lifts as we would be normally. Um, and this probably goes back to another point that I was I briefly touched on before about how you can make general exercises a bit more specific. So for something to become specific, we need to mimic the the intensity of the the movement, the direction of the movement, the speed of the 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 movement, and the duration of the movement. Now that's why swimming itself is the most specific thing because it's very hard to replicate that outside of anything other than swimming itself. Okay. But what we can do is say for a squat, for example, we can, it's very hard to mimic and apply that to a breaststroke kick maybe for, for this, this example, okay? It's very hard to have the, the same speed while squatting as you would have a breaststroke kick because you've, you're under load, okay? It's very hard to have the duration because like squatting for 30 seconds is a lot of squats, right? You could do it, and I've tried it before. I don't think it's that beneficial. I'll probably put your eggs in some other basket. But but we can try and mimic the intensity. Um, and by intensity, the, the the output that we're trying to put into it. So if we're doing a maximal breaststroke kick, we're trying to move, some, move ourselves as quickly in space as possible and trying to apply as much force against the resistance as possible. That is the water at this stage when you're kicking. The resistance is the water in swing. And it acts differently, but that's probably an entire different thing in itself. A squat where we're resisting the floor, we're pushing against the floor, getting the action reaction to stand up. So what we what we do look for instead of going, okay, we want this to be very strength based. What is typically, you know, moving the bar, you know, slowly and not as quickly because of the load that you're under. We go, all right, what we want to do, we're not going to get the exact speed, but we want to make sure that we're moving faster. So we we measure bar speed instead. So we can go measure some bar speed and then we can go all right jump into your vertical jump yeah it's it's you never want to just throw something out and there are different ratios for different athletes and different swimming profiles in terms of their event and their stroke that you need to be more biased towards but the best programs are the ones that cover as many bases as possible to make sure that you're a more complete athlete so you can have the opportunity to pour in the water if you have strength deficiency somewhere, there is more likely than not to be a compromise somewhere else. It's just making sure that everything is strong enough that those compromises no longer matter. Breaststroke and the rest of the world is, is very easy for this when you look at lower body or just in general. So breaststroke is a very lower body, or it's probably the only that is very lower body orientated. The kick is probably more output in most cases than the arm stroke, okay? So the kick becomes very big focus. So with the breaststrokers, we spend way more time on their legs and actual the squat itself than we would, say, a freestyler, where they're probably not going to squat that often. And if they do, they're doing in a uni, like 
a unilateral fashion. So we're working one side, not the other, like we're doing it to balance out. So they're still getting the strength there, but we're making sure it's more termed towards balance. Where, as an example, a freestyler, a butterfly, and a backstroker is very much arm propulsion dominant. So they do more pull-ups. They do more of those kind of things. And they do stuff like RDLs instead because an RDL works really well at getting the hip drive that they need, um, but also centrating the joint in the shoulder while maintaining strong positional line, line through the spine. Okay? So a lot of people, a lot of the time you'll see our athletes doing a lot of RDL movements because we've got a lot of really easy variations that we can go with that. And it's a core base movement that I think, you know, a lot of people should do more often. You've got to understand that the demands of each stroke is different. The demands of each athlete will be different. And then the distances also come into play, for example, like, for example, going back to Andy, he's getting a lot of airtime for someone who's not on the podcast. <laughs> um, <is. laughs> Going back to Andy, for example, he's a, a he's an, an ultra marathon swimmer, and we have a few of these guys. Yeah, so yeah, he does a bit of jumping work, like he will do a bit of explosive work, like slams and stuff like that. But that's because he needs this, like, but that's not the priority for him, if that makes sense. And we do that that bit of like you know throwing work and stuff like that, mainly so we can teach the body to centrate while the velocity is really high to help prevent velocity-based injuries that's why he does that because his arm pull is still at a faster rate than what he would do a pull-up so we've got to kind of figure out something with that so a, a med ball throw down make sure that he gets the above centrates the joint and applies that force really quickly down but a lot of the time he's doing a lot of stuff to make sure that joint centration is right body position awareness is good like he's very strong through you know his trunk um not his core i think the core is a bad word to use the trunk because we need to think about all the muscles from shoulders to hips and making sure that they stay in alignment. And the abs, for example, what the core normally gets referred to is a very small and not so significant muscle group compared to like the muscles that hold your spot, like the muscles in your back and your obliques, what well, is technically an ab, but you know, those, those aspects are really important for Andy. Alec, who is a 1500 meter swimmer to 200 meter swimmer, who's, been on a couple of Australian uh, B teams and probably will go much further. Um, for him, we need to make sure that jumping is a priority in his program. He's a pool athlete. He needs to apply those things. Um, you know, the Masters guys going to Masters Nationals, this is something that is probably really important to note with the Masters guys that, you know, jumping and stuff like that probably isn't something that Masters athletes are that comfortable with um, that I've noticed anyway. You know, it's not something that they're going to be wanting to do because they've probably lost a fair bit of explosiveness with age. So you've got to make sure that they're doing it, but they're doing it in a way that's comfortable to them and you're not overloading it. Um, again, it all comes back to load management and managing the stresses that you put onto someone and their ability to recover from those stress. Yeah. Look, I'm interested to know when you say optimally two sessions a week, are those two sessions completely different from each other or are they the same exercises repeated twice a week okay cool they'll be different very different so to go over a little bit of how we structure programs session we we always write three sessions a week but we make them do two okay so we write three sessions a week so we have monday what is their primary exercises that they have to do these are the exercises that are directly focused on their, their, their swing profile, 
And we need to make sure that that is done for their, say, for if you're a 50 meter freestyler, they're the exercises that we want you to do as a 50 meter freestyler to get, you know, X, Y, and Z at this time of year. Session two is more geared towards their individual profile based on testing. But it's still, and it normally covers, and normally because of that, it's gen can be the opposite of what they were doing in the other exercises. So we get a bit of balance there. Okay. Session two is a less of a priority session than session one. And session two can generally be at a lesser intensity um, than session one. Session one is probably the hardest session of the week. Then we have session three, what is always there in case they have a competition on the weekend. Um, we've seen there's always competitions going on. It's very hard to keep a track of all of them apart from the major ones. So we have that session there. What is just to get them more explosive and deload them a little bit because what people also don't realize is that not every week they're competing. So they're not adapted to completely back up week after week after week when there's competitions going on. So you need to have a slight deload. It's not a taper. It's just mitigating like risk and managing load. So we have a, a slight deload in that session. They'll do less work, but it will be at a very high intensity level to make sure that they have very high output to make sure that neurologically they're firing and ready to go for their swim on the weekend. No, I think that's a really good point. And I think that's um, a lot of people need to put that into their program, that deloading type of thing the day, maybe the day before you have that sort of mini meet. I'm not talking about nationals, but um, I think is that, is that mimicking the first session that you would give them of the week or the second session? Oh, it's very different. It's very much just slamming stuff down, mobility work and jumping. It'll be very, very specific to like making them move fast and react to things. Um, it's generally done 24 hours to 48 hours before the meet um, because that's where we get that neurological window and they do it. Like, for example, these guys will do that that session and I keep it very similar, like very similar throughout the year. Because when they get to nationals, that will be their last training session that they do before nationals. When they're and I make it so they could probably do it when they're away. Um, but it's very much jumping, throwing, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. So we've got that. So when they go to do that session, they kind of subconsciously start thinking, "Oh, we're ready. It's race. We've got racing to do in the next twenty-four to forty-eight hours." The body starts doing doing the magic. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. But listen to your pool coach because your pool, like this is the main thing that you need to stress. I am an SNC provider. I'm dictated by, I'm a support person for the the guys that do the the real work in the water. Um, so make sure that you, I wouldn't be self-tapering yourself for every mini-mate in the water, but in your gym program, that probably can be, you know, having a slight deload the day before, like that week of towards the latter half of the week could probably be beneficial for your you know ability to recover from the meat itself and be ready for the meat itself but it doesn't apply to your work work in the water listen to your primary coach like the swimming coach for that kind of stuff yeah because all those little mini meets along the way you're not going to be tapering for those you're going to taper for nationals you know what what we're, what we're doing with that session three isn't a taper it's a priming session it is there to get you more ready for that that competition on the week and we because we understand load management we've gone okay well we need to manage the load because you're going to be doing more than you normally would over the weekend that's that's the only reason it exists if they're going to do the same for example sometimes they do this like we figure out the load like in the water and we go okay you're actually probably going to be doing 
less than what you probably would output on your Saturday morning big big hit out swim. So we're not going to drop down. Like there's no point. The load is going to be the same. But the the normal nature of swimming events and stuff like that would probably mean that that's not most of the time the case because as we said before you've got a you know emotional stress the that you've got to deal with the psychological stress that you've got to deal with when you're at a meet no matter what the meet level is there's still going to be a higher level than of that than you would at a saturday morning training session i think you you lift for that anyway knowing that it's a competition yeah and it's a stress response you know like that's the whole that's how it works like the adrenaline is put out there because you're in a fight or flight reflex where there's delivered by an impending stressful situation that your body has to react to so like you know you've got to make sure that you're accommodating for that kind of stuff yeah absolutely now everyone that comes on the podcast i like to ask them deep dive five questions and i've made yours a little a little bit more towards the strength and conditioning side of things and i'm going to change one of them as i've listened to you call the core the trunk so what's your favorite trunk exercise for swimmers that they could put in their strength and conditioning program my favorite trunk exercise anything that stop is anti-rotational so an anti-rotational exercise is say something like a pile of press or a pile of hold where you would set a band up on a on a pole and you would stick your arm out and you've got to stop yourself from rotating so you've got to hold your hips still facing forwards feet facing forward shoulders facing forwards hands out straight the band is going at a right angle from your hands and it the force of the band would naturally try and make you turn towards the like towards the anchor point and you've got to hold yourself there that would be one of my favorite apart from you know telling you that a, an rdl is my favorite but you know because it it the thing that i'm you've got to understand is that these big compound lifts that you do the general strength lift that you're going to do are probably having more of an effect when loaded up on your ability to maintain control through your trunk than any direct core work will because of the nature of it it's much higher demand there's much more things going on it's much more transferable because there are other aspects moving um like for example like your trunks main the reason the trunk is so important is it, it allows you to apply force somewhere and stops that force leaking out so you can apply like you can maintain that force to sum it out pretty basically um, so apart from just telling you that, you know, lifting, lifting like big strength exercises, my anti-rotational one for swimmers is probably my number one. Yeah. I like the Peloff one. It's good. Yeah, it's good. And it's good for your shoulder as well. It's got a, a bit of, bit of shoulder work in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to really hold those shoulders in place to be able to hold it. Otherwise the whole thing rips out. Yeah. Cause well, if your arms are out in front, the, the lever length from your shoulder is, is getting active upon so that's there's a bit of you know isometric hold for your pec um there what is I, I like a lot what about your favorite um post swim snack like maybe a high protein one what do you like to i'm very much like an eggs like an eggs on toast kind of dude i think that would probably be what i was to say eggs on toast swimmer that you most admire as someone that i've taken a lot of inspiration from in my i guess my life and being in proximity to um Heidi Gann probably from Malaysia or swam in Australia but from Malaysia her ability to be able to manage being a two-time Olympian while studying for law and then being a lawyer and then being a lawyer and the club president at the same time 
and just everything in general um, and the personal in insights that she's given me over the years from being good friends with her. Um, she's had a lot of um, positive impacts on my training, so, like me as a person and as an athlete and probably as a coach as well without thinking about it. What's your um, best exercise for freestyle backstroke butterfly in strength and conditioning? I'll ask a breaststroke one separately. But I know we've mentioned pull-ups and you've mentioned a pal-off for the, the trunk. RDL. Yep. Can you, can you explain to everyone who's listening what that is? Uh, so an RDL is a Romanian deadlift. Um, so it is the deadlift style that you do where you never touch the floor um, and you maintain you know, the same angle at the knee joint at all times. So the reason I like it the most is because it takes, it ticks off so many boxes at, in one movement and the variability that you can do with it can can be applied across a lot of different things. Um, the reason I'm not saying a pull-up, for example, is because I think um, pull-ups are done traditionally terribly because everyone believes they're a necessity. Um, you see a lot of the time with people doing pull-ups is that they don't centrate the joint and therefore they dump into internal rotation. What is just, you know, I know they're different environments and they are different, but it does reinforce a, a problem that will be probably manifesting in the water. Um, so that's why pull-ups aren't my favourite. They are great exercises. Every exercise is good. But an RDL, I think, I think you can't get a more value-packed exercise for a lot of lot of different people and a lot of different ranges, a lot of different people can do from masters all the way down to age group um, than an RDL because you're going to get so much engagement from your hamstrings, um, hip drive, like through your glutes, that because it's a hinge um, exercise. The amount of isometric strength that you get from the trunk in terms of your erectors and your lats and stuff like that, and it's demand that it puts to centrate the joint under under load and the grip strength requirement that you can get once you've started loading it up properly. Um, it just ticks off so many boxes for me and I, I use it in 90% of my programming because of that. Um, you, you can also like, you can whack massive tempos on it if you're really looking at the isometric loading of, you know, of the trunk and the shoulder joint and the, and the wrists and the grip strength component of it. But you can also use it as a very value-packed power output exercise by dropping the load down, holding everything nice and tight, and really accelerating through the concentric component of the lift. What would be when the bar comes back up and you stand back up? Um, I just think there's so many. Yeah, it's just got a lot of value to it. That's a good one. I mean, you're talking about the one from the the barbell into the pivot point, or are you talking about it with a kettlebell? Either way. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. The modality that you use or the, the the equipment that you use to me is not necessarily that important. Um, if you use a barbell or dumbbells or kettlebells or a kettlebell or a dumbbell um, or a band, for example, you know, they give you different things, I guess. Um, I do like it a lot. With a, I'd use a bar a lot with a barbell a lot because we can get greater loads um, from it. So we, we can get greater loads so we have more room to move. But I do really like using it in a with two dumbbells or two kettlebells because it makes it avoids any it doesn't allow for one shoulder to be taking over because they're they're holding two weights independently. But the issue with that is you're probably struggling to load up your hamstrings and your erectors and for your back as much as you probably would with a barbell. Yeah. 
Um, but they all, again, like probably what people should take from this podcast the most is um, there's justifications for everything. And if you can't justify the reason you're doing it, you probably shouldn't be doing it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And last question, when you were swimming, what was your favorite breaststroke training set? My favorite breaststroke training set? Yeah. God, they're all PTSD for me now, but the <laughs> one that I am. Um, the one that I don't recommend anyone ever does, but the one that we at the time made us so confident in our ability um, was a set where we did nine four hundreds of breaststroke. Oh my gosh! No, no nine twos, nine twos. We did do it nine four hundreds at one point, um, but we did nine two hundreds. And the way that we had to do it, it was a efficiency and pace descend. So what you would do, you'd be taking stroke count and heart rate for all of them, um, but you had to descend one to three and then you had to descend four to six and oh, you'd had to descend one to three, but each round, so there's three rounds to it, you, you, you wanted to start faster than you started the first one. The amount of connection we got from like at the end of those, like it never mattered how you started the set, yeah? You could start and it would be absolutely terrible, but by the end of it, you felt so connected and so in tune with what you were doing in the water. Like, would, for example, I'd most likely on the ninth one bust out a time where I wouldn't have done that if I just got up and done a dive 200 max, if that makes sense. And it's all push start and everything like that. But just the flow that we got from that was really cool, like really useful. Yeah. Don't do it though. I think it's, um, <laughs> it's a horrible looking back one. on it, I think it's probably an excessive set. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah. Like, like, at the time, I loved it. That was the stuff that I really loved as a swimmer. Yeah. But, Same. yeah, I yeah. don't do it. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> Crazy. It's <a> terrible idea. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been great, and I really appreciate all the information that you've given, and I think everyone listening is is going to um, really enjoy incorporating some of that into their own strength and conditioning. I always say this at the end of any podcast I do. If you've got questions, you want more information, please reach out. Um, on social media, I'm down as Swimming Strong, but there's also formidable um, formidable underscore coaching. That is the business, like the, the bricks and mortar business to it, or email at ryan at formidablestrength.com.au. Works well as well. So Yeah. We'll put all those um, links in our show notes so that if um, people forget, they can have them there written in front of them. So thank you so much. Have a, a great rest of the day in Perth. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Mark. I hope you learned some valuable information to put into your own program from my chat with Ryan today. I love discussing the scientific side of swimming, and I really appreciated Ryan's explanation on how to include strength work into a weekly program. We'll put the contact links for Ryan in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Torpedo Swim Talk Podcast. We post lots of content there that's not in the podcast, and we also pull out things from the podcast and talk about them in our social media. So join along and get involved in the conversation. It's loads of fun, and you'll, you'll find out even more things to include in your program. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.